So Money Episode 546, Vera Gibbons, Financial Journalist. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You know, there's a lot happening in the political world, to put it lightly. It is hard to keep up. I have a hard time, you know, just consuming the morning news. It's especially hard, though, to know what's happening outside of the political realm. What are some of the other things going on in society from health to sports to business? Our guest today is financial journalist Vera Gibbons, who's trying to solve that problem with her new daily newsletter, nonpoliticalnews.com. It highlights the day's news and shares stats and facts that are being overlooked by the mainstream media given the heavy political news coverage today. It prides itself on not having bias or opinions, just delivering the news. A little bit more about Vera. She and I have known each other for over a decade. She was the former financial contributor with CBS's The Early Show and has also worked as a correspondent for CNBC's High Net Worth, and she still appears regularly on national news networks. With Vera, we talk about how with a full-time job, she started this side gig, nonpoliticalnews.com, and how it's really taken off. She takes us behind the scenes. Her success with New York real estate, starting with a little tiny studio that she bought from none other than Walter Cronkite, and the future of social media. I wanted to know about this. Here's Vera Gibbons. Vera Gibbons, my friend, welcome to So Money. Why is it taking me so long to drag you on this show? Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, you've been so busy. Busy, busy, busy. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Oh, thank you. So have you, though. We've known each other for years. You know, Vera, as I just mentioned in our introduction, you are a veteran financial journalist. You've been on every TV show. You've been a contributor to CBS, MSNBC, CNBC. The list goes on. You've been there, done that. And now you have turned even more entrepreneurial with a site called nonpoliticalnews.com, which I don't know anything about. So tell me all about it. Ta-da! Yeah, so I (laughs) just started it very casually over the course of this summer uh, as a blog, a daily blog that goes out at 7 a.m. And what I do is I curate all the different news stories. So I scan through literally thousands of sources to try to find what looks most relevant and timely and interesting in the non-political world in a bunch of different categories. I've got fitness and diet. I've got fashion, beauty. I've got personal finance. I've got consumer uh, and I've got health and wellness. So I cure, I am watching the headlines literally 24 seven to see what looks fun and relevant in the non-political world. As you very well know, we are being bombarded with the political news 24-7. So my starting this was basically enough already with the politics. I'm sick of hearing about the politics. I'm sick of the fighting as it pertains to politics. I'm tired of not being able to get on the air because of politics. Here right. is something fun and interesting. It's important to keep on track, right? You have to know what's going on in the political world. Like I... <laughs> refuse sometimes to go on Twitter and see what the latest, because it, it is nerve wracking. But at the same time, I feel like I have a responsibility to know what's happening with our government. 
Yes. And I, and I, I do follow those headlines as well. What I'm trying to do with nonpoliticalnews.com, though, is step away from the anxiety, step away from the defriending that's going on on Facebook, step, step away from all the hatred between political parties, and just make things fun and light and interesting. And also throw in stuff that, that's relevant. It's, I like to say it's everyday news you can use, no opinion, no bias. It's just straight facts. And I sort of curate them one after the next in paragraph form because I know people are busy. They don't want to slog through ridiculously long points about stuff. So I keep it short. I keep it simple. And it's really resonating well. Our audience, Farnoosh, is mostly women, uh, middle-aged women, 30 on up to maybe 50, 60-ish, who just want a fresh dose of healthy news they can use. And so every day we can get an email from non-political news. It's kind of like, you know, just a real refresh of what's happening and not so negative and um, belligerent as it can be. That's right, Farnish. Yeah. So I'm trying to take people off the uh, the belligerent hostile path. <laughs> is it just I mean, you? Do you have a team? I mean, I'm this. I would assume this is like a lot of content to go through. That's my first question. Second question is, what are the trusted sources that you use? Now we're in this world of quote unquote fake news. So how do you how do you pick your sources, your news sources? Well, to answer your first question about doing it alone, I have been doing it alone for for some time now, and I do have a full time job elsewhere. So I've been doing this on and off over the course of the day, very late at night and into the wee hours of the morning. I'm not breaking news on non-political news. I'm just regurgitating news that might have been missed due to the heavy political coverage. I have recently teamed up with uh, Felicia Taylor, who is a veteran TV journalist of many, many years. I think she's, she was in the business for something like 25 years. She's teamed up with me from a business standpoint because she has some of those relationships that we need to grow the company further. So... I'm not going to be continue to be doing the heavy lifting on a daily basis. I mean, we're looking for partnerships. We're hoping to get more subscribers to the site. We already have a lot of people who have subscribed to non-political news and our open rate is very high and our click rate is very high. So it's been fun. It's definitely been a journey. I, I love being a journalist. I love seeing what's trending, what's hot, what's relevant in all the different categories. It's 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 been fun for me. This is really exciting. It's really nice to see how you've reinvented your career in some ways. This is the, did you think this was going to be something that you would be tackling? <laughs> That's funny you say that, Farnish, because you and I know that this business, this world of journalism is constantly changing. I mean, when I started out many years ago, I was a fact checker. These kids wouldn't even know what a fact checker is nowadays. Oh, <laughs> I was too. <laughs> you were too. Yes. Which so is we, the we most go- important, one of the most important jobs, I think, frankly, you know, in the news industry. And I know as budgets have been getting slashed, that's those are usually the first jobs to go. Yes, yes. Those are the first jobs to, to go. And you mentioned the point about all the fake news being out there and all the different sources. I mean, I'm using sources that are tried, trusted, true. Uh, I'm scanning the major newspapers. I'm scanning the, the, the tried and true and trustworthy websites that are out there. But it is difficult to, to sort of separate the good from the bad um, given the fact that there is just so, so much stuff out there. Generally speaking, I try to do a mixture of two or three stories that are trending, that are hot, that are relevant, that everybody's talking about. And then I try to throw in a little whimsical stat or fact or fun. I like to keep it light and airy and easy to read. Tell me what's happening in the world outside of politics, because I don't really know either. 
I know I know what's happening in the financial world, obviously. I unfortunately know what's happening in the political world. Give me something good to chew on. <laughs> Give me some Cadbury's coming out with a new Oreo cookie flavored egg for Easter. How about that? You they, know I'm pregnant, the- right? This is I like know. music to my ears. How good does that sound? And Ben and Jerry's Wait, Oreo has- plus Cadbury? Oh no. So- Cadbury has a new flavor. And, you know, it's funny because this this particular blurb got an awful lot of attention. Cadbury's new Oreo flavored egg. That got a lot of attention, as did Ben and Jerry's new bourbon flavored ice cream, which is going to be hitting the shelves Mm. in the not too distant future. So I do cover some of the fun consumer trends and consumer foods and different sales that are happening and targets, various collaboration with different um, different, different outfits. So, I mean, I cover, I run the gamut. I do, I, I, as I say, I throw in the fun Cadbury egg type stories, but I also do the personal finance and the consumer stuff, consumer scams. I do recalls. I do uh, emergency fund or the lack of funding that America, I, I highlight it all basically. Give me your take on the content industry. On the one hand, I would say it's low barrier to entry. If you're someone listening, let's say, listening to your story and thinking, I have a great idea for a news site or I have a great idea for a consumer or content site. On the one hand, I would think low barrier to entry because the cost to starting a website, very low. And as long as you have an ability to work hard, you have you have a sharp sense of what you want to do with it, it could be successful. But on the other hand, there's so much content, right? How do you cut through all the noise? How do you monetize? So take me behind the scenes a little bit because our, a lot of our listeners are very entrepreneurial and a lot of us work full-time jobs like you do. So I'm curious how you're also doing this on the side, but talk about kind of your early, early stage journey into doing this and what it all entailed. Well, I think first of all, if you are interested in starting your own company or your own venture, you have to test the waters and see if there is a market for this type of thing. I tested the waters as many people do on social media. I was doing these kinds of updates very casually over the course of the summer on Facebook I was doing it just as a hobby, and I got an awful lot of likes, a awful lot of attention. A lot of people told me then, you should do this full time. You should start a company. You should do that. And I, and I thought, well, I could. It's a lot of work. So once I actually committed to actually doing it, then I did see it is quite a bit of work. I mean, I'm working on this a lot to make it relevant, to make it fun, to make it timely. I also take into consideration what people are saying about nonpoliticalnews.com, what they like, what they don't like. I'd like to see uh, what they're interested in. If, if certain subjects aren't resonating well with my audience, then I'm happy to rejigger things and rework things. So first of all, you have to know that there is a market for what you want to do. Secondly, you do have to distinguish yourself because there is a lot of, uh, of clutter out there, as you point out. There's a lot of people who think that they can do something, and a lot of other people have the same idea. So you've got to cut through the competition. You've got to make it different. You've got to make it relevant. Uh, getting a website, anybody can do that. You just go to GoDaddy.com, buy your domain, do the WordPress site, you're good to go. But again, it's a lot of uh, a lot of hitting 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 the ground running. I mean, I uh, once you commit to actually doing something, then you've got to really commit. Like one of the one of the main things someone told me about setting up a site like this where you do have daily updates at 7am that go out is that you must be consistent every single day. That newsletter, that daily update must go out at 7am. 
doesn't matter if you're tired, doesn't matter if you've been out late the night before, your audience has actually come to expect it. So consistency, I think, is a big part of the game too. Yes. And so you have to prioritize your time. You just mentioned earlier that you have a full-time gig. So it sounds like you're really busy more than ever. It sounds like you're busy too, Farnoosh. <laughs> you're one of the busiest. You're one of the busiest women in, in women in journalism that I know. You're doing it all. It's just amazing. I mean, kudos to you for your podcasts, for your books, uh, your your growing family. Yeah. So it is about balancing things too. I mean, at this point, my life is a little out of balance because I am. I do have a full time job. I am doing this technically on the side. I do manage to slip a workout in on a daily basis. That one thing keeps me keeps me keeps me going keeps me motivated and keeps my head clear but it is a balancing act and as i say it does require quite a bit of commitment quite a bit of dedication and that consistency really does make a difference so i would recommend for people who are interested in doing a side venture a make sure there's a market b make sure you've got the resources to actually do so and be consistent, be diligent, be hardworking. And another component that people don't really talk about is the legal side of things. I've been dealing with attorneys to make sure what I'm doing is actually legal in terms of <laughs> copyright issues and licensing things, licensing agreements. So I'm, I'm dipping my toe into unknown waters in, in the, on the legal side of things. And that's a little bit out of my area of expertise. I don't know too much about I'm learning as I go along. And of course, lawyers are expensive. So you have to budget for that too. So let's transition now since this is the first time you've been on So Money, which again, I can't believe I've uh, been so stupid and I haven't invited you on earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you've been hard to track I'm down. so happy to be on So Money. This is awesome. This is so much fun. It's a, it's a new day on So Money because Vera's here. Let's do some So Money questions. Let's, uh, let's start with uh, the one that I start with is, what is your money mantra? Do you have a financial philosophy? I'm curious to hear this because you've got so much experience in the industry. My money mantra has always been to live beneath your means. That's a surefire way to actually be successful, to have some money in the bank, to fund those retirement accounts. Just live below your means. I mean, I think a lot of people have gotten a little crazy in terms of I see, I want, I need, I buy. Obviously, it's become very easy to make those purchases online, you know, haphazardly. Impulse purchases are a problem. But I, I, I live lean and mean. I really do. And I've been living this way ever since I was back in my 20s when I had my first job. I was, you know, stockpiling money, contributing to the 401k. Definitely living uh, below my means. And I continue to do so now. Yes, I have an occasional indulgence every now and then. I do like to get my massages, my facials, things of that nature. I am a woman after all. Uh, but I, I try to live lean and mean. Yes. And you started, you should say, in New York City, where right? You were uh, a journalist here. And if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Well, that's right. Uh, living in New York City... When I first got here, it was not nearly as expensive as it currently is. I was living with my brother's friend from college. She happened to have a spare room, and I was paying $1,000 a month. So those deals are virtually unheard of nowadays, which is why people are living further and further out away from New York City. But I, I had it pretty good. I was working very long hours. I wasn't making a whole lot of money, but I was loving New York City. I mean, this is the media capital of the world, and it's been an interesting ride. So back going through your 20s, maybe even further back, what is a lesson from your 
from your younger years, maybe even stemming to your childhood that you think has really influenced your mindset around money today as an adult? What's like one good going down memory lane story? Well, I was raised um, very conservatively in terms of finances, in terms of keeping those wants under control. We grew up very nicely in Massachusetts, but it was never, there were never a whole lot of giveaways. Um, I was babysitting from a very young age. I was earning money that way. I was uh, taking on internships and earning a small stipend that way. So I feel like I grew up in an environment where it was kind of like, do what you want to do, but do not expect a handout. Their whole thing growing up was, you can do whatever you want, and we will support you in doing whatever you want, but there's no free ride. Yeah. I can see my parents saying that too. Like, go ahead and do whatever you want, but you don't think we have any money for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's no money. I mean, yeah, shoot for the stars, but yeah, there's no blank. Shoot for the stars and have those dreams. I was fortunate enough to know at a very early age that I did want to be a journalist. So, and some of these kids don't aren't aren't, aren't there yet. Um, but yeah, I knew from a very early age I wanted to be a journalist, and I was you know doing all the writing in college and taking I was placing out of the English classes and everything else. I mean, I I, I was a dedicated diehard journalist, and you and still are, to be. and you continue to be. That's right. Yeah. Um, so tell me, but I do think in this world of journalism, you do need to reinvent yourself constantly because of what's going on in the digital world and all the different sources and the fake news and the this. And it becomes increasingly difficult, I think, also for journalists to monetize your career. Yes, I agree. And it's a very demanding, very time-consuming job, which I think you reach a certain point. I have friends now who in our 20s, we were just excited to be in the newsroom. We didn't care what the paycheck was. We were so fortunate and grateful. Now we're you know older, we have families, we have dependents, and that paycheck ain't cutting it. And we know <laughs> that we're working harder than ever before. We have the you know the, the news cycle right now is just overwhelming. And so a lot of my friends are thinking about leaving and becoming entrepreneurial, writing that book maybe to help them launch a different kind of career path. Yeah, it's really the newsrooms are as much as there's like companies like yours that are that are sprouting, I think the traditional newsrooms, you know, they're they're laying people off, they're consolidating, they're trying to figure out how to monetize. It's a very tricky terrain. So it's smart to just kind of have something that you can own, whether that's a book or a blog or an app or anything, anything. That's what it's come down to, I think. You really have to rely on yourself and your own resources to get ahead in this very challenging environment. I mean, I think the old way of doing stuff just isn't working. And if you are a journalist today, not only are you writing, but you're doing the social media, you're doing TV appearances, you're tweeting, you're Instagramming. It, it almost comes with a job. You're expected to actually tweet out your articles mm-hmm. and promote the brand and yourself. And it's a, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's definitely morphed into this different type of environment. I mean, some of it is good and some of it is bad. But for people who are just starting out and want to be a journalist, I'm like, hmm, I don't know if that's the idea. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. this idea that you'll have that great one job at a newspaper and you'll become the editor-in-chief one day. I mean, that does happen for some people, but it's not the typical path anymore. Um, and it's not even the desired path, frankly. No. Yeah. It's not even the desired path. I don't think necessarily. I don't know too many kids actually who do want to be journalists at this point, actually. I mean, other than the ones who are just logging haphazardly on their own sites. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. 
It's an interesting time to be in the news business. Talk about maybe a failure of yours. Uh, you know, I, I always love talking to financial experts about their money failures because sometimes we think, oh, they must be perfect, these people. But at the same time, we understand so much about the financial world because of what we've personally gone through, the ups and the downs. So talk about maybe one experience that really stands out as something that at the time was a big failure, but you've obviously learned so much from it. I haven't had a money failure per se necessarily, but I did have a career failure. I was uh, leaving Inc. Magazine. This is... I'm dating myself. This was a while back, but I took a job actually away from journalism. I was like, I'm not doing this journalism thing anymore. I've had it. I'm tired of being a fact checker and I was tired of sorting mail for the editors, which is essentially what I was doing back at Inc. Magazine. So I took a job as a conference producer. And I was producing conferences for a trade organization. Uh, it was just wasn't for me. I was bogged down by logistics. We were having a lot of meetings uh, with the team. I really, I did not last very long at this job, shall I say. I, I, and I went right back into journalism. That's when I moved back to New York City and took a job at Smart Money Magazine as a researcher. I mean, I was like, ooh, this... This non-journalism stuff just isn't working for me at all. I mean, I literally was bogged down by logistics and too many meetings. Yes, I did go to get to go to Barcelona, Spain to put on one of my conferences. And yes, I did get to go to Barbados for another conference. But it was just walking around with a walkie-talkie at the conference, dealing with logistics and broken ACs and speakers that weren't showing up just was not Wow. That's not an unusual path for some journalists to take, especially now. I hear that some of my friends, for example, who've been producers and in network television, you know, because conferences actually make money for media companies. And so more and more companies and networks are looking to uh, getting out there, hosting conferences, hosting events. It's a big uh, revenue maker. And so they're plucking people from their newsrooms to take on these event planning jobs. And so a friend of mine just did that. So we'll see how she likes it. You didn't like it. But you know, hmm. I, I do think there are some perks <laughs> where, for example, you're not beholden to the news cycle, right? If you've been, if that just, I think that just wears you out at some point, especially if you're working at a news desk and you have to be on top. Oh, I know. And the daily grind, yes. daily grind of working at a news desk is just, I don't know how these people produce one hour shows every single day. I mean, mm. it's just constant grind, grind, grind. But yes, I can see why your friend would go into, from the news into event planning for a different change of lifestyle. You do have to be very organized. You do have to have a clipboard. <laughs> you know, you want, you gotta, you gotta be on top of your game, but in a different way altogether. I, I can imagine you get burnt out from the daily grind of daily news television, especially now, again, given the political bombardment that we are forced with. I mean, it's the, the, the news networks in general are, is 24 seven political coverage. 24-7. Have you thought about the future of social media? Because your work is so, uh, in some ways, dependent on social media to spread the news of your site. But at the same time, you must have a love-hate relationship with it. Well, unfortunately, the way we're currently using social media doesn't appeal to me at all. I mean, look at the way people are using Facebook. It's just for like political hatred and rants and I hate this and what an idiot here. And 
that's one of the reasons why I started non-political news is was because I couldn't take all the hatred between parties and all the ranting that was going on on Facebook. I would I liked Facebook the way it used to be. Pictures of puppies and family vacations and homemade bread. You don't see that too much anymore. Homemade bread. Yeah. You know, I love Instagram because I think that's the most that's the happiest place for me, at least at least as far as how I've curated it. What do you think? That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard Farnoosh is that Instagram is is the, the place for me to be for this particular type of content. I, I need a kid. I need a young millennial or some, <laughs> you know, someone yeah. who's really good with the social media stuff. I, I don't like to do it. I Just do go not hang like out around it. the schools in the afternoon. That's not creepy. <laughs> <laughs> pick, pick some kid that's like on right. an iPhone and be like, hey, you. Do you Instagram? Well, they're much smarter than I am. I mean, whenever I have a technological issue or a glitch, I just ask my my niece or my nephew. I mean, these kids are right on top of things. So yes, I mean, if you happen to know of a, a kid, a social media expert who wants to help me with non-political news, I'm all ears. All right. Because I do need help on that. Um, what's the pay? Is it like pretty good or free internship? Yeah, yeah. I, I would pay. A comp- no, I, I'm not. A, actually, that's funny you bring that up because I'm not a proponent of uh, free labor. I think everybody's time is worth something. Um, and I, yes, in my heyday, I did work for free on occasion at a few different jobs, but I feel that everybody's time is worth something. So I'm happy to pay something in competitive market rate. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. If you're good at social media, go to somoneypodcast.com or go to, well, go to nonpoliticalnews.com, find Vera and send in your resume for all the 12 year olds that are listening to the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be better at this than I am. I'll tell you. I mean, I'm, I'm good at the... I'm good at the partnerships and I'm good at the curating and I'm good at the networking, but I am not good at the social media. Well, it's become a full-time job too. So even if you're somewhat good at it, but you're doing 10 other things, there's it really requires someone like you talk about consistency. You need to be very consistent, very active, very proactive on social media in order to really get heard and seen. So that is a designated job. All right, let's talk about so money. Yeah, you're pretty good at it. I'm what? Am I good at it? No, my Sophia's good at it. Are you talking? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you have somebody doing that. Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, you're I'm on there too. Doing all this, but you know, so I basically have cloned myself in the form of Sophia. So she, what you're seeing on social media is really, she captures my mindset pretty well at this point. Which is the other oh, thing. You, well, if you can find me, a, yeah, but she's not twelve. If you can find me a Sophia. Oh, she's not 20. No. Oh, yeah. She's 20 something. She is, she is a young 20 something. Yes. Oh, she might, she might know somebody. She might know me. someone. I'm asking around. Okay. I'm asking. All yeah. right. We'll keep you posted. We're on it. We're on it for you. Okay. You're so- okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Let's talk about your so money moment. I know you're really good at real estate, right? So maybe that's something that you want to mm-hmm. share with us. What is a time in your life where you felt like all the financial stars aligned and you really put all your own um, financial juices to work? That's a good question. Okay. So one immediate thought comes to mind, and this ties into your so money moment. When I turned 30, I bought my first apartment in New York City. And I was very excited, but I was also like, oh, I'm single. Shouldn't you wait to get married? And have, this is such a grown-up move. And wow. And uh. I did it. And I never looked back because that was my first apartment at age 30. I bought it for next to nothing. I sold it. I bought another apartment. I sold that. bought another apartment. So I have moved around and done quite well in real estate in New York City. I have to say, it, it's been a, a money-making proposition for me, buying and selling and 
moving on up to the Upper East Side. <laughs> How did you afford your first place? Uh, I had savings. I had the savings ready to go. And back then, apartments were not that expensive. So I made the down payment. I continued working at Smart Money. That's where I was at the time. And I paid that mortgage off, actually, in a couple of years' time. I, I didn't like the idea of having a mortgage, but... Everybody, that's what, you know, of course you have to have a mortgage. And I, I was I was a kid. I was young. I was 30. So I bought my first apartment in Midtown at the age of 30. And I think I sold it probably, must have been 10 years later. I did sit on it for a while. Made, made a nice tidy sum in real estate. Good for you. Well, and it's good to mm-hmm. point out too that you didn't flip it, right? We, While New York real estate has always been relatively, I guess, more robust and more fruitful than, you know, the rest of the country, like even during the recession, prices did kind of dip for some properties that were really inflated. But generally speaking, it wasn't abysmal. At the same time, though, the longer you hold on to property here, it's just, I've never heard someone say, I bought an apartment 10 years ago, and now I have to sell it for a loss. Mm." Right. No, (laughs) that's unheard of. Yeah. So I think you're sitting on your, your, some retirement money potentially. I did I did, if I know flipping is back in style now and I did flip one small apartment a couple of years ago. Uh, I bought the maid's room from Walter Cronkite's estate, a little teeny tiny what? I think it was four or five hundred square feet. Teeny tiny. Bought it for next to nothing and I did flip that one. But I hung on to it for a year for capital gains reasons. But that was a uh, that was my flipping experience. I I went in there. I put in some new crown molding. I ripped up the dirty carpet. I got rid of the cockroaches. <laughs> and what a, what a great story! Done. This this is the maybe there were some uh, as you were ripping out the uh, <coughs> the walls. Did you find any like interesting artifacts? <laughs> <laughs> that's quite. It was pretty dirty. That's a in really there, cool story. I feel like that's such a like a creepy, cool New York story. Like this was this once was the home of Walter Cronkite's maid. So a couple years prior, I had actually bought the office of Walter Cronkite from directly from him with one one little contingency. I said, I will buy you. I will buy this apartment from you if you come to my Christmas party. And we shook on it and he shook it. No. That's my one big deal. That's a great story. Can you believe it? And when he died, the maid's room came up as a potential sale. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to also have that little maid's room? I didn't really buy it intending to flip it, but I had such a good offer and somebody else wanted it right away and... Done. What a good Made a guy. Nice profit on that one. How was that Christmas party? Your friends must have been blown away. <laughs> it was so much fun. Oh, we had uh, Lester Holtz. We had. Why wasn't Alex I invited? Smith. Thanks for inviting me. Whatever. I didn't. I didn't know you back uh, then. This was before I knew you. This is Lester this Holt was, was there. This was many. Lester Holt was there. Yeah, I wanted him to play bass, but <laughs> he didn't show up. So, guitar. what did you have uh, yeah. Walter Cronkite doing? Was he passing out hors d'oeuvres? So Walter Cronkite, he showed up late and I was concerned because the party was maybe one hour underway. It was like, he showed up at like seven. The party had started at six. I thought, oh no, he's not going to show. He's not going to show. All of a sudden I heard, (laughs) he he used to always hold, he used to always hold the buzzer for like 30 seconds. I'm like, he's here. He's here. I was all excited. So he did show up. He was true to his word. I mean, that, that was, that was that was one of the one of my highlights in the world of journalism and buying his apartment and 
actually getting to know him a little bit when we were living in the same building because he was several floors up in a much larger uh, apartment. So that was a fun New York story. You're a good negotiator, Vera. Yeah, it didn't take much. You just had to show up at the party. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about your biggest money habit, something that you do very routinely as a part of your, you know, your financial health, keeping to your financial health. Well, I do pay myself first, as they say, and that's uh, that's really the way to go. That's really the path to long-term success, I think. And I do max out the retirement account, something I've been doing for years. Uh, when I have been freelancing, I've done the SEP IRA. When I'm gainfully employed, I do the 401k. I get the match if it's um, fortunate enough to be offered that match. So I do the standard stuff that all the financial experts, yourself, Gene Chatsky, myself, would recommend that everybody do. But a lot of us don't do them. We know what we're supposed to do, but we just don't do it. So that's my main thing is living below your means, paying yourself first, maxing out the retirement accounts, particularly if you are getting the company match. And then um, and the occasional splurge every now and then. You got to be happy. When you think about retirement for yourself, what do you envision? I envision having a second home. That's sort of on my to-do list at this point, probably in the desert in California. I do like in the Indian Wells area. I've been back and forth there because I like to bike and I like to hike and I'm a big outdoor exerciser. And it's beautiful out there. And the values are, you know, I mean, they, 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 it's like 200 to $225 a square foot. So it's inexpensive, nice quality of life. And you have the heat. I mean, it's super hot, super, super hot, <laughs> which I like. Yeah, it's good for yeah. the skin. I know. It's not. I know. Well, that's the, that's the one thing I don't like about it is, is yeah, exactly. I mean, you got to go out with the SPF 50, a hat, yeah. or this. Or, yeah. That's the one downside to the desert. You got to be careful. All right, Vera, let's do some so many fill in the blanks. Do you okay. know this? That you know like that I fun. do this? Yeah, this is like yes. my yeah, I, my I uh, round robin. Finish the sentence. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred, which I know you don't play because you're good, a hundred million bucks. The first thing I would do is buy that two bedroom, two bath house in Indian <laughs> Wells, California. And if there's any and leftover property us. from Walter Cronkite, you're on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm on it. I really think that real estate has done well for me, so I'd continue to buy more real estate. One thing I splurge on that I can't do without is monthly massages, monthly massages. I need to get that into my monthly routine. I've heard this now a bajillion times from guests. There's something to it, I guess. Massages work, huh? They do. I mean, I exercise a lot. So I feel like my, I I just, I, I feel like I need it, that it's a requirement of sorts. And you do feel really good afterwards. I should probably do it more often than once a month, but I feel like that would be a little too self-indulgent for me. Once a month is good. One thing that makes my life easier or better, one thing that you spend on that makes your life easier or better is? Class pass. Class, class pass. pass. You know, I signed mm-hmm. up for class pass and I, I gave up because I didn't like the options. Huh. Because I really, I know, I'm, I have a very favorite place that I go to work out at this bar, this bar place. It's a, called Physique 57. And oh, they yeah. are not, they're not members. So I kind of felt I was betraying them. I was hopeful that they would be on there and they weren't. Um, so for those of you who aren't sure what ClassPass is, it's basically you pay a monthly fee, which is what, like $120 or less than that, it's right? $125 now. They've messed with, they have messed with their pricing, but it's, it's, it's $125 now for a basic membership. 
And that gets you 11 workouts per cycle. And you can only do three at your favorite. But that's the least expensive of the options. If you want something fancier, the prices go up. Mm. Right. And it's good for people who are on the go a lot or you travel because you can do class pass in a lot of different cities, even in New York too, if you're downtown, uptown, midtown, and you want to just quickly do a 45 minute workout, you can find some stuff in your vicinity. And it's great because now you don't have any excuse, right? Like you can just work out wherever you are. Exactly. You can work out in Boston. You can work out in Atlanta, Charlotte, New York City. You have the app, you book the class, you show up at the class, you have a good workout, you're good to go. And I think that the rates are reasonable, 125 for the 12, uh, 12 workouts. That's, that works for me. But you're right. Some of the, like the phys- Physique 57 is not included on there. Orange Theory is not on there. I know Orange Theory is a hot new workout right now. Soul Cycle. Yeah, right. Soul Cycle's not on there, but I think they've got, um, what's the other one? Not Peloton, but Flywheel, I think, is part of class. Yes. And I think, uh, there's a, there's a few other bar options too, if you're like, if you like the bar workout, which I love. Yes. Exhale is on there. Exhale is on there. They have a very good bar. Oh, they yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. I'm not very good at that. So I don't really, I go occasionally, but I prefer the strength training like at the PE club. All right. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is how to make more. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't we all like that? I mean, you know, back then you're just kind of like, I think I'll be a teacher. I think you don't really know. Like, I mean, I, I, uh, you know, back then you just, you're not thinking that necessarily. You're just thinking, hmm, a job. I remember back in the day when I was just looking at the Boston Globe and the advertisements, just trying to find a job, any job. Like, I'm like, I don't know. I can work in retail. Like, you're not really focused on the end game necessarily when you're younger. Yes, I agree. And, and no one really tells you that you have that you're in the driver's seat as far as how much you want to make. I always thought that you had to kind of wait till someone offered you some money, right? Like you yeah. know that you're not really in control of that. That people, other people, set that standard for you, where which, as we know now, is a very very narrow way of thinking, especially if you are in the world of journalism. You don't want to lowball yeah. yourself, you know. No, you don't want to lowball yourself. But you know, when you're just starting out too, you don't you don't necessarily have any value. <laughs> you don't right, you don't know right. what your value is. You don't bring any value to the table. You got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. I, I guess I I mean I'm doing just fine now, so it all works out in the long run. But I guess my eye wasn't necessarily on the prize back then. It was just sort of like just give me any job, any job at all. Like let me get some experience. Right. But it's important to negotiate even when you're just starting out because, you know, especially women, the studies show that we leave so much money on the table when we don't just ask for more because you might get more. And then, of course, that extra will compound and it will help you get even more at the next job. And over your lifetime, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars that you could make just by speaking up at a very young age. The power of compounding interest. The power of boring compound interest, but it is a wonder of the world. Yep. And last but not least, I'm Vera Gibbons. I'm so money because... I'm so money because... Hmm, I live and breathe this personal finance stuff. I really do. I mean, I live and breathe it, Farnoosh, just the way you do. I follow the trends. I follow my own advice. <laughs> walk the I'm walk, you me. talk the talk. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So I fit into your world nicely. 
You do. You do. You're you're just so lovely. Thank you so much, Vera, for coming on the show. Congratulations on nonpoliticalnews.com. And we'll be, uh, you know, mentioning your um, your opening for the Twitter intern on our websites. Maybe you'll get awesome. some referrals. I only Maybe. take a 10% agent fee. So that's <laughs> That's good. But seriously, thank you for coming on the show. It's been really nice to catch up and wishing you a great, great year. Oh, thank you so much, Farnoosh. And best of luck with the new little bundle. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Vera, her site again is nonpoliticalnews.com. You can sign up for the daily newsletter or follow her on Twitter at Vera Gibbons. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.